Our show today is brought to you by Bedgear. No two people sleep the same way, and that's why Bedgear makes performance bedding based on the way that you sleep. You choose your mattress, your pillow, the sheets based on your body temperature, your body size, and your sleep style. Do you sleep on your back, on your stomach, however you sleep? Each piece has layers of powerful temperature regulating technology that adjust your body temperature to your environment as you sleep. I have the most amazing new pillow I got from these guys. Uh, it is, I won't let anybody in my house touch it because it is, it is perfectly suited to me. And here's the deal. Sleep fuels our whole lives. Okay. If you get a bad night's sleep, it ruins your whole day. So create a performance sleep system that works hard for you. And now our listeners can start building personalized sleep systems with 20% off. Visit bedgear.com and use our special offer code TESH to get that 20% off. That's bedgear.com. Use special code TESH. Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. Our guest today is one Dr. Daniel Amen. You've seen him everywhere on television. He is a psychiatrist and one of the foremost experts on brain health. He has written a plethora of books, including the mega bestseller, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. I actually put a link to that book in the show notes so you can check it out. We're going to ask him how to get you the healthiest brain possible. So let's just skip all the intro stuff without further ado. Dr. Daniel Amen. I want to start by talking about kids and the developing brain. So tell us what we as parents should know if our kids are playing sports, football, soccer, especially girls playing soccer. What is it that parents need to know? Kids should not play contact sports. Your brain is really soft. Your skull is really hard. It has many sharp bony ridges and contact sports can increase the risk of concussions and brain damage. And even if people never have a concussion, they get what we call repetitive subconcussive blows, which means you still can have trouble. Little girls, 90% of their IQ is in the front part of their brain. For boys, it's more widely distributed. Little girls should not be hitting soccer balls with their head. Table tennis, really good. Tennis, good. Golf, contact sports should be out for kids. That is, uh, <laughs> that is eye-opening. I, I actually play a lot of contact sports as an adult, uh, but it, it, contact sports as an adult, can that be, can that be brain damaging? You, you know, contact sports really at any age are not great for you. you. You know, I'm particularly concerned about kids because their brains do not finish developing until you're 25. So contact sports during a developmental period are more damaging. So tell us what the, the long-term consequences of that are. So long-term consequences of traumatic brain injury, there are a number of scientific studies say it's highly associated with depression, suicide, panic attacks, learning problems, homelessness, alcohol, and drug abuse. One study from Toronto, 58% of the homeless men had a significant brain injury before they were homeless. 42% of the women. Your brain controls everything you do. If you hurt it, it can have a very negative impact on your life. You've done a, a lot of research uh, with, with NFL players and, and the effects of football on the brain. Can you tell us a little bit about that research? Because it's very, it's very hot right now. So at the Amon Clinics, we did the world's largest study on active and retired NFL players. And you know, if you play in the NFL, odds are you actually played eight years before you got to the NFL. It was a very high level of damage, especially to 
the front part of their brain, which controls things like judgment, forethought, impulse control, their temporal lobes involved in mood stability, learning, memory. It wasn't good. The exciting news is we found that on a rehabilitation program that 80% of our players showed improvement. So that's, we're really excited about that. If you're going to play football, you should be rehabilitating it all the time. You, you keep using this word rehabilitation. So what does rehabilitation entail? Is there, is it, do you need to have a doctor help you with it? Or like, let's say you have a kid who played high school football. Can, are they just done? Can they improve their brain? You know, I think anybody that's in a contact sport or in a brain damaging profession, think soldiers who get exposed to blast injuries, should always be rehabilitating their brains. What we did in our published study is we got them to eat right, to exercise, to sleep, to take a handful of really smart supplements, multiple vitamin, high-dose fish oil, and some brain-directed nutrients that just when you combine lifestyle interventions and supplements make a huge positive intervention. Tell me a couple things that if, if I wanted to get that right nutrition to improve my brain, what, what am I looking for? What, what kind of foods am I looking for and how does it help? So getting the right food for your brain is critical. Your brain uses 25% of the calories you consume. So if you have a fast food diet, odds are you're gonna have a fast food mind. And the diet I really like the best, my wife actually wrote about it in her book, The Omni Diet, is think of a plate, 70% plant-based foods, 30% high quality protein, and never go on a low fat diet. 60% of the solid weight of your brain is fat. Somebody calls you a fathead, say thank you. Low fat diets are disastrous for brain function. You need healthy fats. So think healthy oils, grapeseed oil, coconut oil, olive oil, uh, avocados, um, fish, you know, fatty fishes like salmon. Uh, it's just critical to get the right amount of fat in your diet. So, okay, so let's get practical about this. If I'm coming to your house, what, what, what are you and your wife making for dinner? So if you come to our house for dinner, the first thing you'll notice is, yes, it's healthy. The second thing that'll just blow you away is it tastes great because I am so fortunate to be married to a woman who has many talents, but she takes amazingly healthy food and makes it taste great. So odds are you'll get a big salad that has berries and nuts, uh, avocados, red bell peppers on it. You'll get a, a scrumptious piece of either fish or lamb. Her, her lamb is just amazing. Um, and the desserts she makes, they'll just blow your mind. But they're all made of healthy things. It, words, some big words like low glycemic, which means you're going to get foods that don't raise your blood sugar. People have a carbohydrate-based diet, have four times the risk of Alzheimer's disease. There'll be plenty of healthy fat in the meal because people have a fat-based diet have 42% less risk for Alzheimer's disease. So I guarantee it tastes great and you'll think better. And that's phenomenal news because I'm in ketosis. I'm, I'm, I'm ketogenic, which is, which is a high-fat diet. Um, uh, so, so I, I clearly have diet handled, uh, but a lot, I, I don't have stress handled. 
And a lot of people walk around, they say, oh, I'm stressed. I'm so busy. What is like, what is that kind of speaking? What, kind, what is, what is saying that or, or, or living with that constant stress? What does that do to our brain? Well, a little bit of stress is essential because it gets you to work on time. Um, and it actually helps your brain grow when you challenge it. Too much stress is bad for you. Too much stress produces chemicals like adrenaline and cortisol. High levels of cortisol put fat on your belly. It also shrinks uh, certain parts of your brain involved with mood and memory. So having a regular stress management practice is just critical. We actually published a study using a very simple 12-minute meditation that showed that it helped balance the brain in a really nice way. So I happen to love meditation, and you mentioned a little bit about meditation, but a lot of people think of meditation like some, you know, you gotta wear a diaper and sit next to the Ganges. So what does what does the kind of meditation that you're talking about mean? You know, meditation's just amazing. And I have to tell you, I am never going to be that person that goes to India and sits on the floor for three weeks. It's just my mind is way too busy. So meditation is just taking a short period of time. The one we studied was 12 minutes. Um, calming your mind, clearing your mind, breathing in a certain way that floods your brain with oxygen and meditation fooled us. We thought, oh, when you meditate, it like settles everything down in your brain. What it actually does is activate the front part of your brain so that you can concentrate better, you can think better, you actually make better judgments. You know, I find it kind of striking actually, the, the, the older I get, the more I find that people are, are actually less afraid of cancer, less afraid of even dying early and more afraid of, of Alzheimer's. What uh, Can you tell us some stuff that we can do to prevent the onset of Alzheimer's? So when I lecture, I often ask people, so how many of you want to live until you're 85 or beyond? And almost everybody raises their hand. Did you know that 50% of people 85 and older will be diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease or some form of dementia? You should be worried about it. And how you decrease your risk for Alzheimer's disease is you decrease all of the risk factors associated with it. So for example, alcoholism is associated with Alzheimer's disease, head injuries, heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, depression, having untreated ADD, low testosterone, low thyroid, all of those things have been associated and all of them are preventable illnesses. So if you know what are the things that increase your risk for it, then through lifestyle interventions and some simple medical interventions, you can dramatically decrease your risk. And the reason this is so important is Alzheimer's disease actually starts in your brain 30 to 50 years before you have any symptoms. So those of you who are waiting until you're 60 or 70 and your memory's no good before you actually start getting healthy, guess what? You're not going to have the mental horsepower then to get healthy. Now is the time, whether you're 20, 25, 30, 40, 50, because you know, having memory problems when you're 50 is not normal. It's the sign that your brain is in trouble. We've talked a lot about on the show, um, that's great by the way, but we, we talked a lot about on the show about how being overweight and obese, how it literally shrinks our brain. 
Uh, is that true that it shrinks our brain? And and what does how does that how does that shrink our brain? So I actually coined the term the dinosaur syndrome: big body, little brain. You're going to become extinct. And you know, on the surface, it's rude, and I apologize. But there are a hundred studies now. I published two of them that say as your weight goes up, the actual physical size and function of your brain goes down. That should just scare the fat off anyone. The fat on your body is not your friend. It produces something called inflammatory cytokines that cause inflammation in your body and causes atrophy in some very important parts of your brain. Getting to the right weight in a healthy way is something all of us should be focused on. Think about it. Two-thirds of Americans are overweight. One-third is obese. It is the biggest coming cause of brain drain and the greatness of our country. We need to get this under control. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to use dinosaur brain. On all of our shows, we talk about uh, how sleep affects the brain. We all know that that's true, but just how bad is it? I mean, can you tell sleep-deprived people like me what we're doing to our brains by, by missing all of this sleep? So 60 million Americans uh, have trouble with sleep. 1900 on average, Americans got nine and a half hours of sleep. 2012 on average, we get six and a half. You can't go through that kind of dramatic shift in a health habit in such a short period of time without having big negative impact. When you get less than six hours of sleep at night, you have lower overall blood flow to the brain more bad decisions. You have less control over things like craving and bad behaviors. So focusing on sleep is absolutely essential. It's really simple. You want to avoid anything that hurts it and do things that help it. So you avoid things like caffeine, exercising late at night, or um, doing stimulate, you know, watching a scary movie before bed, or having a warm room, or a room filled with a lot of light. Uh, so cooler, really dark, turn off the devices, stay away from the caffeine before bed. A little bit of milk before bed can be really helpful as it'll raise a chemical called tryptophan. Tell, tell me, uh, I love to exercise, John loves to exercise. How, how does the exercise positively affect our brain? So exercise is like the fountain of youth uh, because what it does is, is boost blood flow to the brain. It also boosts a chemical called BDNF, or brain-derived neurotrophic factor, that helps us learn. So exercise is critical, but not too much. People who over-exercise, so think of your friends who are running marathons, too much stress is toxic to brain function. I really like that. So you want the best exercise? Walk like you're late, 45 minutes, four times a week. And during those 45 minutes, burst. So walk as fast as you can or run for about a minute. So bursting in the context of about 45 minutes of walking can just be so smart. And then add coordination exercises because it works. Coordination works a very cool part of your brain called the cerebellum, back bottom part of your brain, that helps you with thought coordination or how quickly you can think. Okay, let's get let's get back to kids for a second. Um, my kids, they, they, I know they do really well when they're very active, but I noticed that a lot of schools in our neighborhood, in our district, are cutting PE uh, in, in lieu of academic disciplines, which seems like a good thing. So what are the consequences of cutting the PE? Cutting PE for kids is a mistake. 
Why? Because kids who exercise the most hmm. learn the best. Not yeah. only is it good for their weight, it's good for their mental horsepower and energy. We've seen this massive increase in childhood behavior disorders and learning problems like ADD in the last 30 years. Why? Because we're cutting out um, exercise in school and we're feeding them crap. I don't know how else to say that. If you really want the best natural way to optimize your children's learning ability, go for a walk with them every night or play games, physical games with them, and then make sure you feed them a healthy diet. I've been diagnosed with ADHD. John has been diagnosed with ADHD. ADHD is very prevalent right now. Uh, it's like a, it's an it thing. Besides kids going on pills, what what, what has caused the spike of ADHD, and and what what can I do for my kids if if they get diagnosed with it, despite instead of medicating them? So, since I've been a psychiatrist the last thirty years, ADHD, ADD, ADHD has tripled in our society. Um, recent study in New York, twenty percent of the boys had been diagnosed with ADD at some point in their life. That's really nuts. Um, the reason that it's increasing is kids aren't exercising. They're exercising their thumbs, playing too many video games. We're feeding them high carbohydrate diets, which decreases their ability to focus, and we're more lax in our discipline with them. The easy answer is to give them medicine. Um, the, the harder answer is how do we really intervene with, with their environment? I'm not opposed to medicine. I'm just opposed to that's the first thing you do because often, especially in mild to moderate cases, you can completely optimize their focus uh, and their behavior with a structured environment with the right diet and exercise. So I have been accused of being addicted to my smartphone. How is that kind of addiction, that technology, how is it affecting the way we think from, from kids all the way up to adults uh, who can't, like me, let go of our cell phones? Um, technology is radically changing the brain, probably some good ways and harmful ways. There's actually a study done by Hewlett Packard that said people who were addicted to their cell phones or their computers over a year lost nine IQ points. It's like, ouch, that's about the same as smoking pot every day. You have to be very careful to have times where you turn them off and you're not always connected to them. I, I think I'm in trouble. Is there, is there any way to, aside from, you mentioned sleep and diet, uh, is, there, is there anything else that we can do to boost our brain power and help us I mean, just be smarter? So to boost your brain power, um, I really think of three things. First one's brain envy. You gotta start caring about your brain. Nobody cares about it because you can't see it. So at our clinics, we image it and it's totally given us brain envy. The second thing is begin to avoid anything that hurts it. So drugs, alcohol, head injuries, that's obvious. But what most people don't know, high blood sugar levels uh, increase your risk of Alzheimer's disease, high blood pressure, even blood pressure in the higher ends of normal. Having a carbohydrate-based diet. So brain envy, avoid anything that hurts it, and then do things that help it. We actually have a website called The Amen Solution where we test your brain, and then based on how you score, we give you exercises in the form of fun games to work your brain. And then simple supplements, multiple vitamins, especially high in B vitamins, fish oil, because omega-3 fatty acids have been found to enhance 
cognitive function and mood, and then certain supplements like ginkgo, vinpocetine, another one I like called Hooperzine A, can be very helpful to give your brain the support it needs. Just a reminder that no two people sleep the same way. You don't sleep the same way as your spouse. Your spouse doesn't sleep the same way as, as her mother. It's, uh, we're, we're different. Some people sleep hot. Some people sleep cold. Uh, I like to sleep on my back or my side. I know people that sleep on their stomach. But all of these things actually affect your sleep needs. And that's why bed gear makes performance bedding based on the way you sleep. That's right. There's performance apparel. There's different kinds of shoes for the different ways you run. Why wouldn't there be? Why shouldn't there be different kinds of bed gear for the way that you sleep. So you can choose your mattress, your pillow, your sheets, based on your body temperature, your body size, your sleep style. Each bedding essential has layers of powerful temperature-regulating technology that adjust your body temperature to your environment as you sleep. For instance, with four personalized choices and a pillow ID tool, you can find the pillow that's right for you. Meanwhile, Bedgear's performance mattresses come in two comfort options, both built with cooling technology. I don't know about you, I overheat and I wake up sweaty all the time. This gets rid of that performance sheets. They keep the hot air out and they keep the cool air moving through. You put the pieces together and you've got your very own sleep superpower. I've experienced it. I've never gotten better sleep. Nobody's allowed to touch my Bedgear. Sleep, it fuels everything that we do. So you can do, need to create a performance sleep system that works hard for you. And now, our listeners, you can build that personalized sleep system with 20% off. Visit bedgear.com. Use our special code TESH. That's bedgear.com. Special offer code TESH. Have you inherited an old coin collection or an accumulation of coins that you've gotten over the years or currency and you're not sure what to do with it? Well, Littleton Coin is here to help. For over 70 years, Littleton Coin has been helping people just like you sell coins and currency. They're an industry leader in collectible coins and currency, and Littleton can actually pay you more than the other guys. Plus, in 2016, the company's president, David Sundman, received the ANA, American Numismatic Association, Dealer of the Year Award. If you guys don't know, numismatist or numismatism is the studying of coins or the, the collecting of coins. Littleton Coin itself was honored with the Better Business Bureau Torch Award for Marketplace Ethics, which is something that you want when it comes to selling your coins, because I don't know anything about coins. Do you know anything about coins? No. That's why you need Littleton Coin, but you need a company that you can trust, and that's what Littleton Coin is. It's a company you can trust and a company you can rely on. So whether you're an experienced coin collector or someone who needs help identifying the difference between a penny and some sort of rare coin that's worth you know $20,000... You need Littleton Coin Company. That's the place to sell your U.S. coins and your U.S. currency. The process is incredibly simple. Uh, if you have any questions, you can just go to littletoncoin.com slash Tesh and you can learn more. Or if you like talking to a person more than going to a website, which I totally get, if you don't want to go to littletoncoin.com slash Tesh, you want to hear a human being, you can give them a call toll-free at 1-877-857-7850. That's 1-877-857-7850. Five zero. When you when you do your brain imaging, you talk you've talked a lot about that. What what exactly are you looking for? So we're really excited about the brain imaging work we do. We do a study called SPEC that looks at blood flow and activity, and it basically tells us three things. So areas of your brain that work well, areas that are low in activity, and areas that are high in activity. So when we look, if somebody has temper problems or mood problems or attentional problems or they have an addiction problem, we want to see how your brain works so we target the treatment 
not to symptoms like depression, but to how your specific brain works. And it's radically changed how we practice, and it's beginning to change how other people practice psychiatric medicine huh. as well. And what's the most common thing you're seeing when you do the brain imaging? So the most common thing we see when we do brain imaging is that things like depression and ADD and obsessive compulsive disorder and addictions, they're not one thing. That they all have multiple types. So for example, with an addict, you could be an impulsive addict where um, you don't really think about the drug or the alcohol, but as soon as you smell it or as soon as you have anything that reminds you of it, you go get it. And then there, and, and impulsive addicts have low activity in their brain. But then there's another type called a compulsive addict where they can't stop thinking about it. It just goes over and over in their head and their brain works too hard. So what you can see is there are different types of addicts and if you give everybody the same treatment, make some people better, other people worse. So it's important to target the treatment to their individual brain type. Okay, I'm gonna ask a question that's a little bit controversial. How do men's and women's brains differ? And uh, we'll start with how they're, like, they're physically different, but what, what does that do, what does that mean in terms of their, uh, uh, their processing and, and, and the way that they process information? So, so I have a new book I'm really excited about called Unleash the Power of the Female Brain. And it's based on a study we did of 46 thousand brain scans comparing male and female brains. And the answer we got, I just thought was hysterical. I have five sisters, three daughters, 14 nieces, and I sort of knew women had busy brains. And about 85% of the brain, female brains were more active. But in some very interesting places, um, the leadership part of the brain, it's actually called the executive part of the brain, the front part of the brain, significantly more active in females than in males. Forethought, judgment, impulse control, organization, planning. It's like, oh my goodness, well why aren't they leaders? Well, in fact, they are. They're leaders at home, leaders in their church, leaders almost everywhere they go because they have forethought. They also have greater empathy. Um, they can sort of read the thoughts of others more. Greater intuition, greater self-control. You know, women go to jail 14 times less than males. And what they have is something that a lot of people wouldn't think of as a strength, but totally is appropriate worry. The don't worry, be happy people, more often men on motorcycles, die the earliest from accidents and preventable illnesses. But this increased activity also makes women more vulnerable to anxiety, depression, eating disorders, uh, body image disorders, and being unable to turn off their thoughts. So in the book, I talk about how do you balance the female brain. It's really exciting, but uh, female brains are wired for leadership. I think you're kind of underscoring something that we know is true, that, that women have better brains. But what about as a guy? What, what Do I have any brain benefits? So the male brain, obviously I'm partial to the male brain. It's sleepier uh, overall than female brains, and it's more troubled because little boys uh, hit soccer balls with their heads. They play tackle football. They're more likely to have problems with addictions. Now, when we get the male brain healthy, it's certainly capable of doing all the amazing things. And what we have seen in the big health programs that my wife and I have been involved with is that when you get a man healthy, he totally helps to get his family 
healthy. He, he's usually more resistant to start, but when he gets involved, everything changes at home. This is going to seem like kind of a random question, but I'm, but I, I'm, I'm curious. You've talked a lot about, you know, impulse control, compulsive behavior when it comes to addiction. But uh, I, I think we've all gone through that feeling of going through a breakup. What does the imaging look like uh, when we're going through a breakup? And what's the biological stuff going on that makes us behave the way that we do? So we, we've also studied uh, breakups and what happens in the brain when um, you go through a painful uh, period uh, with someone you love or somebody you love dies. And what we see is serotonin, so it's a neurotransmitter that helps you feel good, goes low. The brain starts to fire up, and then you become obsessed. You can't let go. You think about them all the time. And with low levels of serotonin, you don't sleep well. So the way to counteract that is exercise. Physical exercise boosts serotonin availability in the brain, and it'll help right your brain in such a faster way than what unfortunately many people do. They engage in bad habits to calm down their busy brain, like um, simple carbohydrate foods, so think sugar or alcohol, and it really ends up prolonging the pain. And plus, it's harder to fall in love again if you've just gained 40 pounds. One of the things that you do, Dr. Amy, that I'm most excited about, uh, you do a, a program for, for high schools to benefit kids' brains. So can you tell us about that and, uh, and, and how it actually is helping kids? So, so I'm really excited. We have a program called Making a Good Brain Great that's in 42 states and seven countries where we teach ninth graders how to really care and take care of their brain. And it's so much fun because the kids are so actively engaged because we teach them how to have brain envy. I mean, we really teach them how to care about their brain, what are the things to avoid, and what to do. Now, after we go through the, the week on things to avoid, invariably a smart alecky teenage boy will raise his hand and go, well, how could you have any fun if you're not smoking, hitting soccer balls with your head, drinking, staying up all night? And then we play this game with them called who has more fun, the kid with the good brain or the kid with the bad brain? who gets the girl and gets to keep her because he doesn't act like a jerk, who gets into the college he wants to get into, who gets the coolest job, makes the most money, takes the coolest vacations, makes the biggest difference in life. Who has more fun, the kid with the good brain or the kid with the troubled brain? Obviously, it's the kid with the good brain. I want yours to be the best it can be. So that's fantastic. But what if my kids' high school, my kids aren't in high school yet, but what if my kids' high school doesn't end up having one of your amazing programs? Is uh, what, what are kids that don't have access to this supposed to do? Is there a way that they can improve their brains? So if a school doesn't have this program, they totally should go get the DVD we created called Which Brain Do You Want? Uh, where over a weekend we actually scanned, did the brain scans that we do on five young adults, three of them drug addicts, two of them not. In the process, we taught them all about brain health and the kids who were using drugs came face to face with their troubled looking brains. All three of them stopped using drugs after we made the movie. It's powerful, it's fun, it's funny, and you'll learn how to take care of your brain. What about drugs? And I don't mean, I don't mean like uh, 
prescription drugs. I mean, I mean, what about recreational drugs that people do? What does that do to people's brains? When I first started doing imaging in 1991, I was actually the director of a dual diagnosis unit. That's a psychiatric hospital unit that takes care of drug addicts. And we'd looked at healthy brains, and then we looked at drug addict brains. They were so terrible. Huh. It was around the time of the commercial that was out um, called This Is Your Brain, This Is Your Brain on Drugs, where they showed a fried egg. I'm like, let me show people these scans because they totally won't want to have a damaged brain. Drugs are not your friend, and alcohol is not a health food. So many adults think, oh, I have to have my glass of red wine a day. But did you know people who drink every day have a smaller brain? And when it comes to the brain, size matters. You do not want to have a smaller brain. Well, okay, so we've, we've talked a lot about the fact that uh, we do the ketogenic diet, the ketogenic diet, the, the high-fat diet, and part of that involves, and you've mentioned calorie restriction too, but part of it involves something called intermittent fasting and restricting calories for periods of time. Uh, can that calorie restriction or, or how can that calorie restriction uh, diet help our brain and, and actually help us live longer? You know, I think of calories like money. And that if you overspend, your body ends up to be bankrupt. There are a number of studies showing that calorie restriction is associated with longevity, whether it's in bacteria or mice or monkeys or with people. We are clearly over-consuming calories. And, and so I literally think of them like money, and I'm a wise spender. So I eat right at or under the amount of calories I need a day in order to stay healthy. And that's why um, my brain looks younger than I am, and that's what I want for you. And how much calorie restriction are we talking about here? What When is like too few calories, too few calories? So the studies on calorie restriction have ranged from 10% uh, less than what your body technically needs to 50%. There's a great study on monkeys. And monkeys, one group ate anything they wanted. The other group ate 30% less. The group that ate 30%, they didn't get cancer, didn't get diabetes. They looked younger and their hair was better. I think for you, think about, and, and I want people to know the amount of calories they put in their body because you can't change what you don't measure. So I actually have my patients for a month actually measure what goes into their body and try to get probably 10% less. I hate the really low calorie diets because nobody can stay on them. And your brain uses 25% of the calories you consume. So you want to make sure that you're really eating healthy calories. So most psychiatrists don't image people's brains. I've been to therapy. I've never had my brain imaged in therapy. Why did you start doing that? Are you, are you a cowboy? So you're right. Most people don't, most psychiatrists never look at the organ they treat. It's a little crazy. I mean, if you think about it, cardiologists look, orthopedic doctors look, um, gastroenterologists look, everybody looks, psychiatrists guess. And I was a psychiatrist for about 10 years, and I was getting kind of tired. This person would come in with depression. I'd do exactly what I was told to do. I'd put them on a medicine like Prozac, and they'd get worse. And I'm like, why? And so when we started doing imaging, it just changed everything that I did. And I realized depression's not one thing. It's a number of different things. I needed the scans to be able to target treatment. 
to their specific brain. It's very exciting. We've built a database of 82,000 scans on people from 93 countries. And other people are starting to do this too because you have to talk to people so they're depressed. Plus, what does their brain tell us? That leads to targeted treatment and more effective outcomes. We just published a big outcome study saying the outcomes at the Amen clinics are better than anyone that publishes outcomes. We're really excited about that. There is something that I do every time we talk about a new idea and I think of what is the way that we can create a product to monetize this idea, this notion, this, this bit of intelligence. You have all of this ridiculous research on, on people's brains and how they, how they behave, how they light up uh, at, at, at the physical level. Are, you, are, you, are companies beating down your door to find out how to market products that rely, on your, that, that rely on your research, how they can use your information in order to build a better widget, build a better mousetrap? So it's fascinating that um, the business community actually got how important this research was before the psychiatric community. So over a decade ago, companies like Pepsi and Home Depot were using brain imaging technology to see what packaging turned your brain on um, or what kind of messaging resonated with the happy decision-making side of your brain. Um, I think where this technology really shines is in people that are struggling. Uh, if you've gone to your doctor and you've tried to get better for things like ADD, anxiety, depression, temper problems, memory problems, um, and it's not working for you, imaging will give you an important piece of the puzzle. Thank you so much. Uh, our guest today was Dr. Daniel Amen. I hope hopefully you learned a little something. If you like this podcast, if you feel like you learned something about your brain, Go ahead and rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us out. If you want to go deeper with any of this stuff, uh, you can go to amenclinics.com, learn more about Dr. Amen. You can find the three of us, the three hosts, John Tesh, at John Tesh on Twitter, facebook.com slash John Tesh, at Connie Selica, facebook.com slash C Selica, and of course, at Gib Gerard. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, have a great day.